everyone. This is Allison Lee, and you are listening to CraftCast. And on today's show, I'll be talking with public works artist Janet Eckelman, as well as lots of things to share with you. So let's get started. Show number 162. Starting the day again, oh yeah. Letting the sun shine in, uh oh. I'm gonna dig within myself, uh oh. Life may be never what you think, but I think I'll just go with it and create something new. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen, you can learn to create something new. It starts inside you. Hey everyone, it's Allison Lee, back for another week here from the Craftcast Studio, talking to you about all things creative and fun and interesting and great people I talk to, and I love sharing with all you guys. So, yep, it's the, what, the third week of August? Summer is, oh, I can't even say the words. I keep my sandals on through October, just so you know, even though I shouldn't, because I love the summer concept. And you know what I was thinking just the other day? Why is it, I don't think I've mentioned this on air before, why is it we say to people have a great summer, but we don't say have a great winter? (laughs) If you have that answer, please send me, send me your response at allison at craftcast.com. Oh, Lordy B. So I hope you're enjoying the last um, wonderful August days. Today's a stunner outside this morning. Truly spectacular. Uh, But what else is going on? Uh, I'll tell you in a little bit, actually, after the interview, lots of announcements about new things. You can come and play at the craftcast.com site, classes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But first, I want to get to some apps I've been looking at I wanted to share with you. Okay, this one is a fun one. This isn't a serious one. Uh, that I really have enjoyed, and it's called The Lost Watch. Okay, if you can't write any of this down, remember, come over to the craftcast.com site and look under the show notes. Okay, so what is The Lost Watch? It's it's basically a screensaver for your computer, but it is so freaking beautiful. It's this amazing photograph of an old pocket watch lying like on the top of pebbles in a brook, uh, and there's occasionally like some leaves float by, and you can have the sound on of the sound of the brook. And the watch works, so it says the time and the day. So <laughs> I'm easily entertained. What can I tell you? It's really pretty. I love it. So, uh, And it's free. Yep, free one, free app. So you get it through uh, iTunes or just, you know, Google it, The Lost Watch, or come on over to craftcast.com and you can find the link. So I found that to be quite enjoyable and I wanted to share that with all of you. It's beautiful. And then I have two books that are oldies but goodies. And the first one is one of my favorite authors, Natalie Goldberg. Uh, She wrote the book, Writing Down the Bones, back in, I think it was 86. And it was one of those earth-changing books for me where I... um, you know, there was amazing exercises and uh, amazing insights from it. You know, there wasn't a lot of books at that point out like that that I had found. And it still stands true. It's still a wonderful, wonderful book. So check that one out. It was, um, 
it was along the same lines, you know, the same kind of feeling as Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, you know, when that first came out. And it was, that's another one of those ones. So it falls into the same category. So check that out. Natalie Goldberg, um, her very first book, Writing Down the Bones, Freeing the Writer Within. And the thing is that for me, there, it, it was, it didn't matter that um, it was for, for writers. You know, you could just substitute the word artist and still... Hell True and was fabulous. So that's number one. And then number two, another older one that was out in 2003, Twyla Tharp's The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It for Life, How to Build a Creative Habit. Beautiful book, coffee size, coffee table size book. And um, the thing that I really found amazing about that was I'd never heard the word creative and habit used in the same sentence, that, you know, that was a habit you could learn to work with your creativity, that you had to practice it. Anyway, great book, lots of great pictures. So those are two oldie but, but goodies, and I'm sure you can find them even, you know, secondhand on Amazon or whatever that I wanted to share with you that I was uh, re-enjoying. So there you go, a little review. Now, today, um, I talked to, I'm very excited uh, when I talked to this artist, Janet Eckelman. I came across Janet because I was on another fabulous website called TED Talk. And definitely check that out. Uh, wonderful talks given um, and videotaped so that you can um, watch them fully. Uh, and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful information there and talks. And I saw one of Janet's there, Janet Eckelman's there, called Taking Imagination Seriously. And right off, of course, the title spoke to me. Uh, and... Um, I was able to do an interview with her, and I was thrilled. Her work, her public works, you must check out pictures of her work. Uh, again, come to the Craftcast site, and you can get the links. I, I have no words sometimes, and I think that's maybe part of it. It gives feelings. It's sort of awe-inspiring. So very, very excited to talk with Janet. You'll be hearing that next. And before my, before my chat with Janet, I have a, a fun piece of music that I always love from Ms. Christine Kane. We all love Christine Kane and all the wonderful work she does, but she also is a darn amazing performer in her own right as well. So um, I'm going to share with you a piece of music of hers right out of nowhere by Ms. Christine Kane, and then come on back and I'll be chit-chatting with Ms. Janet Eckelman. And she brushed her fear away She got a great big dream And a history of playing small And everybody seems to think She'll be back before Christmas Day Well, she hit that highway With every ounce of faith she could summon When courage finally comes You never see it coming Right out Changes everything, and you're going somewhere. All you need to know is that you're free to go. 
soft smell of seashore And all the deadheads dancing out on the beach He's got a ten-year tan And his own little junk store He says, some people got a lot to prove And that's the way I used to be Well, now I'm just an old hippie With half a dozen PhDs Some choices hold you down some chances set you free right out of nowhere. Open your heart and let go of everything, and you're going somewhere. And all you need to know is that you're free. Okay, well, I am, woo, I'm excited today to talk to my next guest, Janet Eckelman. Uh, I came across her TED Talk 2011 called Taking Imagination Seriously, which I loved, loved. I've watched it numerous times. I got goosebumps. Uh, Janet has been the recipient of so many prestigious awards, uh, which she clearly deserves. And here's a quote from the website, uh, Eckelman.com. Janet builds living, breathing sculpture environments that respond to the forces of nature, wind, water, and light and become the inviting focal points for civic life. Janet, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for coming on. Allison, thank you for inviting me. I love those big, mighty statements like that. So can you give give us a little history of how you started as an artist? Well, I grew up in central Florida. My mom was an artist who became a craftsperson, and I grew up helping her. Mm. Uh, she used to have a little photo uh, taped to the back of our kitchen counter, of me at age six using the the buffing and sanding machine, helping her with her silversmithing. So I I grew up, she was teaching macrame, and I was her her little assistant at age six and seven. So I started nodding really, you know, when I was learning to read. You know, I I always love that. It was one of my questions later on, but I love... So it, it started way back. At six, you were nodding. Well... 
I, I didn't realize that that would be a continuing theme later in life. Right. I, I then studied classical piano in a very serious way, um, and it wasn't until college that I really took my first formal art class, and uh, it didn't actually go so well. And, um, you know, in the end, I had to find my own way. Now, I know I heard or read, I think it was, I heard it, you were rejected by a whole bunch of art schools. After college, um, I, I went, um, I did a liberal arts education at Harvard, and I studied a variety of fields, uh, of which, you know, I took a semester of drawing and a semester of painting, mm -hmm. and I thought that going to art school was the way you became an artist, mm -hmm. and, and I worked my best at that point and, you know, applied to to seven different art schools, and uh, the answer from all of them was no. Oh. And uh, with that hearty uh, pat on the back, I decided that this was really the only thing I wanted to do. There were lots of things I could do, but this was the only thing I wanted to do. And setting out as an adult for the first time, I thought I ought to go for what I want. You know, I, right. didn't, I didn't want to start with compromise. So um, I decided to uh, live in the place that I had visited once that I adored, uh, Bali, Indonesia, and I decided to set off and be an artist on my own, and uh, that's what I did. Well, were you thinking at the time the kind of artist you wanted to be, or were you just thinking, I want to live my life as an artist of some sort? Well, at that point, the only idea I had of what it meant to be an artist was to be a painter. Okay. Uh, I think that took every bit of industriousness I had to be able to get materials and canvas and to be able to ship them and store them and care for them. And I was a painter for more than a decade. Okay. I, I lived in a little house on the rice field in a village in Bali called Ubud, and I lived there for five years. And I studied traditional craft. That's always been a touchstone for me, uh, working with artisans, learning their craft. I've always been inspired by these forms that are passed down generation to generation that have been honed over the centuries. Mm. And Bali's certainly known for that. Yes. It's, you, you know, it's, just to digress slightly, Bali is so, such beautiful craft comes out of Bali. Yes. And why is well, that? You, after living there, why is that? Is there a, there must be such a respect for it, or why does that occur that way? Well, it's hard to know. Um, it's such a beautiful place, and there is a closeness to nature. The religion and the philosophy are very much in tune with the whole island. When the volcano exploded, they felt that the reason that it had happened was because people had allowed a hotel to be built taller than the volcano. Uh -huh. and they were interfering with the order that. of nature as it should be. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe this closeness with nature, that people feel very connected to their hands and the materials of the earth, and there's a sense of participation in the culture. Each family is supposed to send one gamelan player to the gamelan orchestra of their neighborhood group. And it doesn't mean they have to be the best musician. It just means that you have to participate. Mm -hmm. and so I think that's also part of it. It's that everyone is making, mm -hmm. and um, that 
participatory aspect leads to development. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. All right, so now back to your story. So you're painting, mm-hmm. and it's going well. Yes. Okay. Now, what happens? <laughs> oh my goodness! You don't want all the digressions of my life. Well, you can just you can sum it up. I know. I think it's fascinating how you discovered the material and everything. Well, that that happened a bit later. Okay. I um I got invited to teach at my alma mater at Harvard, so I packed up my house in Bali and I rented it to. Um, an American, and went off to the United States, and um, my tenant accidentally burned down my house in Bali (laughs) with everything in it. And I just thought, well, here I am. I'm healthy. I'm not injured. And I moved on with my life. And after a number of years of staying in the U.S. again, I felt I really needed to get back to Asia, and I applied to go on a Fulbright to India. And I had been painting, and I was going to teach painting at the their National Institute of Design, and I shipped my paints through the diplomatic pouch of the United States, waiting for them to come. I promised the embassy that I would give this large exhibition, and lo and behold, I'm there waiting for my paints to arrive, very special paints, you know, not the sort of thing I could just replace locally, and uh, they never arrived. Right. And there I was, um, deadline taking away with no materials, and I was in a small fishing village that was famous for painting. I'm sorry, a small village famous for sculpture named Mahabalipuram. And I thought, well, okay, let's embrace where you are instead of crying about what's not here. Let's, you know, what, what is here? And it, uh, they were casting bronze, so I started casting bronze and... It was now 10 weeks till the show, and I realized, number one, I didn't have enough money to buy the bronze on my Fulbright grant. Right. It was just heavy metal was too expensive, and it was too difficult to ship and work. And I went for a walk on the beach. I went for a swim on this beach every day, and this time I walked by the fishermen. It was the end of the day, and they were pulling in their nets, and there were these beautiful hulking mounds on the beach. And it occurred to me, you know, this could be another approach to sculpture. Right, now, one second here. I have to ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but were you, no. was there nail-biting going on at this point? Because you have to be in that open space to see what's in front of you. Had you gone through a little panic, or were you just like, this will work out? No, I was in complete panic. Okay. Complete <laughs> okay. desperation. Oh, okay. I think, I think this is, you know, I was at 100 on a scale of okay. 1 to 100. Okay, right. Um, they were ready for the image for the invitation card. Ah, okay. All right. And I had a dozen little bronzes, each one no bigger than my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I was up the creek. Okay. Um, okay. And I just didn't know what to do. And I found these forms of piled up nets so beautiful. And and I looked at them and I thought, oh, you know, those expand in the water and then they fold them up. And I thought, well, I have a very small shipping budget. Hey, that could work to make something big that I could then fold up. Uh, a right. kind of nomadic approach, right. and I I thought well, and just the the lightness and ephemeral quality. Um, I I just thought well, um, 
maybe this could work. And I'll add, I was sleeping under mosquito nets every night. <laughs> so the first thing I did was I bought a big roll of mosquito netting. And I went to the tailors and I drew out these forms and I asked if they could, you know, sew them in the shapes that I had drawn. And then I went, I needed help because the fishermen who lived on the beach didn't speak English. And uh, the head of the bronze foundry came down with me and helped me communicate with them, you know, to ask them would they help me hand knot these shapes. And they said yes. And um, we dyed that the colors that I wanted. And there you go. Well, now, suddenly, were and people it saying very quickly? Were people saying, who's this crazy American woman? At this yes. point? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. They're and, like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> whatever, lady. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. Okay. Um, but they were so, um, it's really amazing how willing they were to work with me. And another interesting aspect is that all the fishermen in the village are Hindu and all the tailors are Muslim. Mm. And they were working together mm. with me to create these works. So really it was like the whole fishing village. Um all work together to make this this first exhibition possible. Okay, so you make your first one. Mm-hmm. Now it travels around India. Okay, and they publish a catalog, and suddenly people are are excited about it. Now, when did you get that this was the next thing for you? Were you on the sand with working with the fishermen, like when you first saw it? When did you know this is it? This is it for me. Hmm. I think the moment I had to photograph them for the catalog, mm-hmm. and uh, we went down to the beach with all the pieces and uh, two giant sort of sticks or poles and a piece of wire between them, and we were rigging up each one to, to hoist it up so I could photograph them. I wish we had and a video that, of all that. Oh, <laughs> as if I knew it was important. Right. <laughs> I'm lucky I have some, you know, snapshots. Pictures, right, right. Um, but it was really such a moment of magic for me to see was, the wind, okay. you yeah. know, rippling through the forms. And, I mean, they just came alive, these three-dimensional, you know, I I. At first, I thought about kites, but these were translucent and vol- voluminous, and it was just that was a moment of exciting discovery for me. Right, and it certainly was not planned. It's not that I set about to make work that responded to wind. Right. It's that I discovered that when the wind hit them, they started to breathe and live and and move. That's very exciting. When that happens, mm-hmm. did the fishermen think the same thing or were they still going crazy later? Or did they look up and say, this is a little bit of magic we're seeing? They didn't tell me that. No. It's hard to know. Right, right, right. <laughs> I think they think I'm just a bit odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of goes, you know, I'm from another planet in their mind. Right, so, right, right. you know, what's, you know. Well, you know, your work, that's why I love staring at it. It looks like it came from another planet. Well, I do like that quality. Oh. I think, you know, because I was a painter, I think about figure-ground relationships oh, uh-huh. of drawing against a background. And what's been exciting for me as I've sort of discovered sculpture is that the sky is my ground. And the mm. sky is the background. And these are figures against this limitless ground. Oh, I, do, I get goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> 
It's very well, exciting. Well, it's a discovery process. I think that's what's really important. I'm still discovering it every day. Um, we're talking about um, my making some forms that might lift up uh, from weather balloons that we might mm. videotape them as they reach the edge of the atmosphere. Mm. So I'm still trying to figure out what it means to have this as a figure against a, a different kind of ground. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and, and a it's, limitless, limitless ground. That's a great way of putting it, yes. Um, now, do, do they look like the pictures, especially on your website, were those what your mind's eye saw? And then they came true close to your vision, or did they go th- really create as you went in the process? Can you repeat the question, please? It, the the pictures, like, are mm-hmm. they what your mind's eye saw when you started? Oh. Or did they reform uh. and give birth as you worked on them? Yes and yes. Okay. You know, um, the core of the idea is almost always there, and that's exciting. And that's what I work to protect. You know, doing public art, there are all kinds of um, encroachments that one has to defend the art um, against. And uh, I try and stay really true to that original light-lifting idea. Right. And then there's all kinds of discovery as as the process develops in relationship to what surrounds it, you know, its context, the, the materials, the other buildings, the size and color of those materials and uh, the way people use the space, all of these mm, things mm-hmm. play a role in how I develop a project. And it, it goes through so many different stages and colors that, you know, you would think they were completely different, perhaps, mm-hmm. but um, I see the trajectory. So they definitely change a great deal. They develop. Right. Yeah, they're not born, you know, they're not like human babies where they're born as whole right. animals. They, they really, you know, they kind of start in a more embryonic um, state. And what has that, has the material stayed the same for these, the fish, uh, the netting that the fishermen uh, we're using, or have you moved on to change that? Well, I use all different kinds of materials, okay. um, from carved brick to netting. I'm using water mist. I wanted to talk about that. That's okay. unbelievable. Well, so, so the material can change. The kinds of issues that I'm interested in, um, those span throughout all the projects. I'm revealing forces of nature that are already there that we can't Mm. see. Mm -hmm. I am exploring softness and responsiveness in environments that are the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And different materials seem more important in in different contexts, be they cultural or natural or historical of different aspects. What do you hope someone, when they're in the presence of one of your pieces, feels? Um, what is your, do you have a generalized goal? I'm sure each piece has a more specific goal. I don't have a goal for what someone will feel or think. I think my goal is that they do feel and think. Mm, 
Good answer, and I, yeah. I don't want to control that experience. I want it to be an open invitation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's what makes it interesting. You know, it, I really, they are like relationships. I think I'm mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. them out there for you as a, a viewer or resident to have a relationship with it. And it would be just like, you know, with a, a lover. It would be no fun if you knew. Right. You know, <laughs> If, if they were wanting you to feel a specific thing, it's it's what's exciting is that you get to discover it too. You know, it's a discovery for me in creating it, and then it takes on a whole other life. And and you, as the viewer, bring that life, um, you know, into place. It, without you, and and you're bringing your life and your your projection of of meaning onto it, right? it's not complete. right? So it, in that way, it's exciting because you are an active participant in this. Not only that, it seems like it's changing depending on weather, light, all of the above. So, Well, nature is an active participant, yes, too. Yes, yes. Right? The wind, <laughs> the sun, uh, all these forces which are, you know, greater than anything I could do, uh, it dawned on me very early that uh, it was a better strategy to work with those forces mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. try and control or um, create them. Did people tell you along the way that can't be done? Uh, every minute. That's okay. <laughs> every day, every project, every phase of every project. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm I'm used to it. <laughs> I love that. It's like, I can't be done means, uh, well, tomorrow we'll be doing it and show up here. <laughs> I, it can't be done means I need to work harder to figure it out. Got it. So you just say, well, no, well, you know, I just go. What is your... I have to get more information. Okay. I have to find a better solution. I have okay. to call um, a brilliant engineer and ask them to help grapple with the problem with me. I have to find a material that will last longer or right. will be more robust. Um, you know, each, each, I mean, the limiting factor is our time and attention. So it's a question of focusing on each aspect one at a time, solving each of the problems. Um, but I'm so committed to the final goal of mm-hmm. seeing this thing realized in mm-hmm. physical form, that's what pulls me along through all of these bumpy obstacles on the way. I got it. I could tell in your TED Talk when you said um, someone asked you to do a certain project, I believe you probably always say yes and figure it out afterwards if it interests well, you. I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. <sighs> well, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. I think uh, I say yes to things I want to do. Right. Whether you know how at the moment or not. Yeah. yeah. I don't promise that I know how, but I can promise that I, I believe I can figure it out. Right. Yeah, they're like, I can see the big puzzles. Well, I mean, you must have gone through an amazing amount of stories getting these all hoisted and launched and, and installed alone. Well, I'm just so grateful that, you know, that first big permanent commission that they took the risk to ask me to do it. Yes. uh, Because I had never done anything of that scale that was permanent, and I had to learn a lot, you know. It's exciting. Just on my toes. Yeah, that's very exciting. All right, so now, because I want to make sure we get this in, I want to talk about, because I love how you go to this, and then the next thing is... What do you call it? Oh, shoot, I can't find it. Oh, atomized water particles mm-hmm. that 
people can move around and then they don't get wet. It's like, you know, you're a magician somewhere, a wizard in there. Someplace. It's like, oh, well, that sounds a great new, great new medium to work with. Let's work with that. So how does that get born inside you? Oh, well, it was a site uh, in front of Philadelphia's historic city hall where uh, I knew it needed something very light because it's this beautiful historic building, and I didn't want to block it, and I didn't want to compete with it. Mm. And it was the original waterworks of the city, and I mm. wanted to use water as the material. And I started exploring in every way I could about different forms of water. And what I found was a failed commercial product, which was a video screen made of water mist. Really? Uh, and actually, wow. it turns out water mist is kind of a lousy material for a video screen. They only sold two, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if, if one is not trying to make it be something else, uh, I looked at it in its own right. What What is this material? What is inherent in it that I can bring out as an art material? And I started looking at it and thinking about bringing colored light layers of multiple layers of colored light onto the mist itself. Mm. And by controlling the airflow, I'm able to create these very fine mists that are that are dry. You move your hand, you can be in a full three-piece suit uh, on your way to the office and walk right through it without getting wet. I love that. I love real magic. (laughs) And it's just as simple. It's just water. It's fabulous. So are you, see, we've done, let's see, you've done your nets, the water. What's your next material? Where is the brain going now? Oh my goodness. We are pushing every edge we can. Um, (laughs) I'm working on new armatures that are made of materials that expand with temperature. So at the heat of the day, they will take a different shape than at the cooling oh. evening. And then the whole, this whole idea of responding and making that visible through materials is something I'm exploring. That's very exciting. Well, we'll see where it goes. It's a, it's a big challenge. Sure, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've heard it's rumor that you like a challenge. <laughs> don't spread it around I'll try to keep it under my hat well now do you have uh, a place that you go for your um, inspiration or is it always coming at you how does that work for you like do you have a little pad that has your ideas that you thought about or do you say off I go to uh, you know my process I do well starting from each site So it really Mm. helps me, like the project comes to me, and then it has constraints. And actually, the constraints give me freedom. I love that. So, and, And it gives me a place to start. So I look at the culture, the history, the patterns of the place, what materials have they used, and how do they work them traditionally in this place, and, you know, every kind of cultural layer that's possible. And that's my handle in to the project. Mm. And then those layers give the viewer a handle in, too. Like, that, that's their right. way in to the physical, emotional, kinesthetic experience of being in it. Yes, I understand. And do you ever think back to the days of the the macrame? Do you do you do you? We haven't seen macrame around for a while. I I I had forgotten about the macrame, but my mom was visiting, and then I remembered uh, these classes she used to teach. So 
Um, All those pot hangers we made. Yeah, you know, you, education includes everything you've ever done. Right? <laughs> Don't you feel that in your pieces? It's a, it's a culmination of everything that you loved and, and learned. Yeah. Now, I am really actively learning new things, new materials. Mm-hmm. I've been studying the history of Roman architecture this mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. Uh, like going to school two mornings a week mm-hmm. to, uh, to to learn new sort of vocabularies. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky that I'm inspired by each place and, and the constraints of each project. Yes. But I'm also sort of generally just following interest and I mean it just fascinates me. So anything that fascinates me that's where I go. Right. That's a great thing. And do you enjoy the deadlines? Does that help you? It seems like they're a good part of your process. I probably need them. Yeah. I would never say I enjoy them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they get the adrenaline going. Oh, they do, don't they? Oh, Janet, I oh, I totally love your work and definitely I I, I think I heard you say um talked about the rediscovery of wonder and definitely you get that across to me it makes you just pause and just wonder for a while and that's a wonderful gift to have so thank you for that well i'm i'm really glad that you felt that i did oh lovely 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 so again uh everyone please go to ekman.com where you can see the pictures uh and enjoy all kinds of beautiful things that janet has created thank you so much for coming on the show today janet thank you allison bye-bye Well, I hope you all enjoyed that talk I had with Ms. Janet Eckelman. Come on over to craftcast.com where you get the link to see her uh, TED Talk uh, or to find her website. Again, it's hername.com, or you can get the links over at the craftcast.com site. Also, all of you who have the Craftcast app, make sure you listen to the bonus content where Janet tells you how to get involved, get into the scene of making public art, public works art. Uh, you don't want to miss that. If you don't have the app, go ahead and get it at your app store so you can get that free bonus content that's only available through the CraftCast app. How to get involved with becoming a public works artist, how to get started. Excellent advice from the expert there. Check that out. So as a quick side note, I had to stop the recording moments ago and start again because there was an earthquake here, an earthquake here in New York. My little chair was a rockin'. All my West Coast friends are saying, what? (laughs) Oh, yes. And I've already checked online. It definitely, it was in Virginia. We felt it all the way up here. And my chair was back and forth. For a second there, I thought it was on the West Coast, but I wasn't. So you never know. You never know what to expect. Uh, A little earthquake here uh, in August in New York. Uh, Now, normally, this is the entertaining thought section of the show, the entertaining tip section, the ET section. But today, I'm calling it the Save the Date section of the show. So coming up on Monday, September 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Daylight Time, that'll still be, I'll be hosting a free webinar. That's it, free, free webinar called The Top 7 Creative Tools You Need to Get You Moving from Stalled Out to Spurred On. There you go. Oh, yes, this is going to be packed with content tailored just for you. Because I've been talking to all you guys. I know what you're looking for. So make sure you save the date. Uh, If you're not on the newsletter list, go on over to craftcast.com in the lower left-hand 
corner, you can type your name in there, and then you'll be on the list, so you'll get all the emails. Uh, also, if you're following me on Facebook or the Crapcast fan page, uh, this will be everywhere soon, so you can sign up for that. And I am so excited about spending the evening with you guys talking about all that kind of stuff. So September 19th, 8 p.m. Uh, so there you go. There you go. Another week here from the Craftcast studio. Come on over to craftcast.com. Get all the links to everything we talked about today, as well as you can leave me a phone message. Uh, you can leave me a phone message at the uh, 877-819-1859. It's under the contact button. Or send me an email. Love hearing from all you guys. You can also find me on the Craftcast with Allison YouTube channel. I see lots of you are subscribing to that now, as well as the Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. Oh, you know all that stuff, right? But until next time, you know what I have to say. Get your butt in the chair and keep crafting. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen. You can learn to create something new. It starts inside you.